You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast, a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee offers us today in our work of love, compassion, and justice. To support this podcast, go to renewedheartministries.com and click donate. And if this sermon were to be rewritten today, what can you imagine that it might include now? Um, One thing I think would remain is Jesus' regard for the concrete harms that people were suffering in the here and in the now. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. My name is Herb Montgomery, and this is episode 456. Our title this week is Rewriting the Sermon on the Mount, and our reading is from the Gospel of Matthew. This is Matthew 5, 21 through 33. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be to go into hell. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, Do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, and by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to simply say is yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So our reading this week, it's a window into the life and the concerns of the early Jesus community. The the, the fact that Matthew Matthew's author includes these words, um, especially the injunctions in, in this this version of the of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It tells us something about the audience that that this gospel was written for. All of these instructions they were written to apply to that community, and and a few are are interesting here. Matthew was written again 
after Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed. So Jesus' instruction about sacrificing in the temple, they suggest that this part of, of, uh, of the sermon in Matthew is, is part of a much older tradition in the community. And, and his words about settling out of court, that could indicate how unreliable court r- rulings c- could have been. Uh, courts in that time could be merciless and even corrupt. So getting justice from those courts, it wasn't something one could always count on. Consider the the parable of the unjust judge in Luke 18. So this collection of instructions, it also prohibits, again, it prohibits lust. And this kind of prohibition, it was generally common in the Hebrew tradition. So it's no surprise that that Jesus, drawing from his own heritage, would include this. In Proverbs 6.25, it says, Do not lust in your heart after her beauty, or let her captivate you with her eyes. And then also it's helpful to remember, and this one's the big one this week, it's helpful to remember Jesus' warnings of Gehenna um, through the lens of the Jewish prophetic justice tradition rather than the much later Christian lens of a punitive afterlife in hell. That when, when we read in our English translations um, talking about hell in this passage specifically, it is, it's much more accurate to uh, substitute Gehenna. And, and, and I've written a length about this in the appendix of my new book, Finding Jesus. We're going to touch on it just briefly here. Gehenna, or the Valley of the Son of Hinnom, that was a literal place in the history of the Jewish people. In Joshua 15.8, it says, Then the boundary goes up by the way of the son of Hinnom, and that's Gehenna in the Septuagint, at the southern slope of the Jebusites, that is Jerusalem. And the boundary goes up to the top of the mountain that lies over against the valley of the son of Hinnom on the west at the northern end of the valley of Rephaim. So, so this became the home to Judah's terrible history of participating in, in child sacrifice. In 2 Chronicles 28, verse 3, it says, Ahaz, king of Judah, made offerings in the valley of the son of Hinnom and made his sons pass through the fire according to the abominable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And in 2 Chronicles 33, verse 6, he made his son pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom, practiced soothing saying and augury and sorcery and dealt with mediums and with wizards he did much evil in the sight of the lord provoking him to anger so gehenna or the valley of the son of hinnom it was the cultic location where children were offered to the god moloch and at some point it also came to to be referred to by the name of topheth um, that and it's a word that that just simply it signified the hearth where the child was placed the hebrew term has parallel especially in the Aramaic, and it meant furnace or fireplace. Uh, scholars believe that Topheth was really, it was, a, a, again, a literal location at the edge of the valley of the son of Hinnom, southwest of Jerusalem. An 8th century BCE Phoenician inscription describes sacrifices that ancient, ancient people made uh, to Molech before battle, and this would have been one of those places where sacrifices like that would have been made. But the history of this place is doesn't end there. It next, it, it resurfaces again 
with the prophet Jeremiah. And in this time, there's a little bit of a different spin. In Jeremiah 7, 31 through 32, it says, And they go on building the high place of Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my mind. Therefore, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when it will no longer be called Topheth, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter, for they will bury in Topheth until there is no more room. And Jeremiah is saying to his people that Babylon is coming and it'll bring such devastation on Jerusalem that the valley of the son of Hinnom or Gehenna will become a a burying place that will overflow with corpses and and uh, not those of sacrificed children this time, but corpses of adults who, according to Jeremiah, followed after the kinds of gods that required such nightmarish atrocities. And at this stage, also notice that Jeremiah is warning not of a post-mortem experience. It's not the Christian le- rhetoric of, uh, you know, do this and go to hell, but, but, but of a distinctly this life, this world uh, experience that could be rightly termed hell, a hell on earth. But, but it, again, it's pointing to the literal destruction of their nation by a Gentile kingdom, and this time it's Babylon. So again, Gehenna became synonymous with being destroyed by a Gentile kingdom. In Jeremiah 19, 2 through 6, it says, And go out to the valley of the son of Hinnom, at the entry of the potsherd gate, and proclaim there the words that I tell you. You shall say, Hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I'm going to bring such a disaster upon this place that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle, because the people have forsaken me and have profaned this place by making offerings in it to other gods, whom neither they nor their ancestors nor the kings of Judah have known. And because they have filled this place with the blood of the innocent, talking about children, and gone on building the high places of Baal to burn their children in the fires as burnt offerings to Baal, which I did not command or decree, nor did it even enter my mind. Therefore, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when this place shall be no more called Topheth or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. So again, for Jeremiah, Gehenna, it had an end. It it wasn't the equivalent of being eternally forsaken by God. Gehenna, in Jeremiah's thinking, was a temporary uh, punitive destruction by a Gentile power, but also it held a restorative hope rather than a retributive one. And, and, And I'll read that at Jeremiah 31, 38 through 40. It says, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when the city shall be rebuilt for the Lord from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate and the measuring line shall go out further straight to the hill of Gareb and then turn to Goa. The whole valley of the dead bodies and the ashes, and that would have been in Gehenna, and all the fields as far as the Wadi Kidron to the corner of the horse gate toward the east shall be sacred to the Lord. It shall never again be uprooted or overthrown. So again, this wasn't eternal. This was a, a temporal uh, 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 event that had a terminal point. And in Jeremiah thirty-two thirty-seven, it says, See, I'm going to go uh, gather them from all the lands to which I drove them in my anger and 
my wrath and in great indignation, I'll bring back to this place and I will settle them in safety. They shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart, one way that they may fear me for all time for their own good and for the good of their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them and never to draw back from doing good to them. I will put the fear of me in their hearts so they may not turn from me. And lastly, Jeremiah 29, 10-14. For thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you and I will fulfill my promise and bring you back to this place. For surely I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me. Come and pray to me. I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you back to this place from which I sent you into exile. So I share all of this, um, and it's a lot this week, I know, but I share all of this to say that though some sectors of Christianity have historically threatened individuals with hell for their behavior or the, their identity, many of the Jewish cultures of Jesus' day would not have done so. And the threat in Jesus' day would have been much more like those made by the prophets. Certain behaviors could be connected with threats of foreign invasion or destruction or oppression by non-Jewish empires like what Jesus' Jesus's community was experiencing from Rome when Matthew's gospel was written. So again, it's, it's much more accurate to, to hear the word Gehenna here, which is the Greek, um, rather than the Christian hell. And, and uh, this message was that simply that if the covenant community continued to do such and such, then this and thus will happen. And again, Gehenna was synonymous with being destroyed by Gentile kingdoms or empires. So lastly, the, these threats, they betray an ableist set of values again, too. We've talked about this before, but, but this set of ableist values values, it prioritizes the whole body over the disabled body. And, and again, I've written before at How the Gospel's Ableist Language. Uh, it needs to be addressed. And so uh, this week, uh, let's just say that we can do better. We, we don't have to repeat um, these mistakes from the past. But from, from instructing his disciples on lust, Jesus then progresses to his teachings on divorce. And in Matthew's versions, there, there varies. Uh, there's some variations there. Matthew's version varies from from Mark's um, in Matthew, um, it reveals that some of the early Jesus communities they must have created an exception to the ban on divorce for cases of infidelity. Um, in the other Gospels, there's no exception, just no divorce. But in Matthew, divorce is allowed in the case of infidelity, and it's help for us helpful for us to remember um, that in our context today, especially that in many cultures of that time, women could not divorce their husbands. Only men could divorce their wives, and, and they could divorce them for a multitude of reasons, some very trivial. So to divorce one woman simply because you were lusting after another, that would, to quote our reading this week, make her a victim of adultery, not hers, yours, uh, her husband's adultery. Economically, socially, and politically, how men practiced divorce in Jesus' day was unjust for women. So you can see why this passage would be 
anti-divorce in that setting. Um, and again, all of this reveals the concerns and the struggles of the Jesus community at this time. It reveals traits and practices that they felt were intrinsically destructive. We have our own struggles to face today, personally, individually, and, and socially as a community. But the Sermon on the Mount, again, it was written to first century Jewish Jesus followers living in the wake of the temple's destruction. They were trying to, to find their new place in the world. And if this sermon were to be rewritten today, what can you imagine that it, it might include now? Um, one thing I think would remain is Jesus's regard for the concrete harms that people were suffering in the here and in the now. And we too, we should be concerned as Jesus followers with injustice, with oppression and violence. Um, however, and whenever they are manifested in our present systems, we should be concerned with those too. Jesus's sermon, it was life-giving for its original audience in their cultural context. What can a life-giving, culturally relevant Sermon on the Mount, what might that look like for us today? Hard group application number one, share something that spoke to you from this week's e-site or podcast episode with your heart group. Number two, what are some of the concerns that you would include if the Sermon on the Mount were to be written today? Share that with your group. And then number three, what can you do this week, big or small, to continue setting in motion the work of shaping our world into a safe, compassionate, just home for everyone? Thanks for checking in with us today. You can find Renewed Heart Ministries on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. If you haven't done so already, please follow us on your chosen social media platforms for our daily posts. And also, so if you enjoy listening to this podca podcast, uh, please like and subscribe to the Jesus for Everyone podcast through whatever podcast platform that you use and consider taking some time there to give us a review. This helps others find this podcast as well. And if you'd like to reach out to us through email, you can reach us at info at renewedheartministries.com. My new book, Finding Jesus, a story of a fundamentalist preacher who unexpectedly discovered the social, political, and economic teachings of the gospel is now available at RenewedHeartMinistries.com. Right where you are, keep living in love, choosing compassion, taking action, and working toward justice. I love each of you dearly. I'll see you next week.